We are going to be having a look at Proverbs 3, verses 11 to 12. So if you would turn back there and have that text open in front of you, that would be a great help. Earlier we heard the entire section from verse 1 down to verse 12 read, but we will be focusing in this evening on verses 11 and 12. So let me read those once more for us. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father the son in whom he delights. This is a beautiful little text in the Proverbs. And as you heard when Gabriel read to us from Hebrews chapter 12, it is a text that Hebrews picks up and then applies to us as new covenant believers. So it's wisdom from God, even from the Old Testament, and it's still completely relevant to us according to Hebrews 12. So we want to know what this what this text means and how we might apply it in our lives this evening. And the message, I think, from these verses is very simple in, in a way. It's just this, that discipline, discipline displays a father's delight. Discipline displays a father's delight. But that is a counterintuitive, countercultural truth. If that's God's wisdom, then it's overturning the world's wisdom, isn't it? And so we need to consider this prayerfully this evening, what this means and what this might look like for us to understand and to live as though discipline really displays our Heavenly Father's delight for us. So we're going to have a look at Proverbs 3 first, and then we will end in Hebrews chapter 12. First of all, just a very brief word on where Proverbs chapter 3 sits in the structure of the larger book of Proverbs. Proverbs is one of those books that we don't go to that often, do we? We might have certain bits memorized. Maybe chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 rang a bell for you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's something that many of us would have learned many years ago and committed to memory. And that's the kind of book Proverbs seems to be. Well, it's it's proverbial, isn't it? It's little little bits of wisdom. And so verse by verse we learn that, but we don't always see that there's a structure, a larger structure to this book. We just want to glimpse that this evening, that from the opening in chapter 1 on beyond our chapter in chapter 3, this opening section really from Proverbs chapter 1 to chapter 8 lays out for us the instruction of godly covenantal wisdom for the people of God. So in chapter 1, Verse 2, if you, if you flick back just one page, perhaps, we read this. This is what Proverbs is all about. To know wisdom and instruction. To understand words of insight. Why do we want to know those things? Well, for the purpose of, verse 3, receiving instruction in wise dealing, righteousness, justice, and equity. We want wisdom, and Proverbs is offering us wisdom, not simply for its own sake, but for the sake of godly living. Godly wisdom for godly living. Covenantal instruction for living in line with the wisdom and life of our covenantal God. That's what Proverbs is about. And look at verse 4, chapter 1, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and direction to the youth. Proverbs is also about the passing on of godly wisdom from those who are more mature in the faith and often older to those who are younger 
And so this has special kind of application, as we'll see this evening, for those who are parents of children or who are teachers of children in the church. And then chapter 1, verse 7, a theme line that runs right through the Proverbs. You've heard this, I'm sure. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the obedience and submission to the covenant Lord, Yahweh himself. That's what wisdom is all about. That's what it means to be truly wise. So Proverbs wants to give us instruction, but that's not just information. It's instruction and wisdom that's meant to form us, to form us in ways of living that please God and bring blessing to us. That's what Proverbs is is in our Bibles for. What a gift from God to us the Proverbs are. So if you turn back to chapter 3, let's have a look at where our two little verses sit within this chapter. Chapter 3 divides itself into two unequal halves. Verses 1 to 12 give us a kind of lecture, the commentaries tell us, a lecture about the instruction and the correction of wisdom. And then from verse 13 to the end of the chapter in verse 35, a second kind of lecture that talks about the values and the blessings of wisdom. So verses 1 to 12, instruction and correction for wisdom. Verses 13 to 35, the blessings that come when one takes on that instruction and begins to let one's life be shaped by it. And you can see, can't you, that verses 1 to 12 form a a nice little section. Can you see that? Look at verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching. And then drop your eyes down to verse 11, which is paired with verse 12. My son... Do not despise the Lord's discipline. Book ended there between verses, verses 1 and verses 11 and 12. The address is from a father to a son. And really, this wisdom literature is ancient literature that was passing on wisdom from a king to his son who would take the throne. That's why the names of David and Solomon are there in chapter 1, verse 1. But it's wisdom that's not just for those elites in the king's household. In Israel and in God's people, God's covenant people, this is wisdom meant to be passed down to all of us. And so when you read, my son, please don't think, once again, that that excludes half of you here who are not male. This is, this is the Bible's way of talking about my child, my covenantal child, my son, my daughter. And so chapter 3, verses 1 to 12 offer us a frame. But let's now look at verses 11 and 12 more closely. Verse 11, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. And then that little word in verse 12, do you see it? For, because. Verse 12 gives us the grounding, the reason for the exhortation in verse 11. And what is the reason that we should not despise the Lord's discipline? Because, for... The Lord reproves the one he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. That's the motivation for heeding verse 11, knowing that love and delight lie behind discipline and reproof. And that's why I say 
discipline displays a father's delight captures the truth of these verses here. It's a theme that will be picked up elsewhere in Proverbs as well. If you read on, if you, if you read through the Proverbs, particularly in chapter 13, you might keep a finger just for a moment in chapter 3. Chapter 13, verse 1 tells us, A wise son hears his father's instruction. What's the opposite of a wise son then? Well, the verse goes on. But a scoffer does not listen to a rebuke. There's a constant opposition, isn't there, in Proverbs, between the wise son and scoffer, the wise son and the fool. And the difference is the wise son listens and then changes his or her life in accordance with what they've heard, whereas the fool or the scoffer puts his fingers in his ears and refuses to listen to instruction. Verse 24 of chapter 13 again picks up this theme. Whoever spares the rod hates his son. It spins it round on the side of the parent, the father. The one who spares discipline hates his child. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. So you can see this theme and it works itself out in many ways through Proverbs. The relationship between a loving father and a wise son is at the core of these verses here. And it's characterized, on the one hand, by discipline that's driven by love, and on the other hand, by submission and an opening up and a changing of one's life in accordance with wisdom. But what does discipline really mean in verse 11? Because a lot hinges on that, doesn't it? If we want to be wise, if we want to heed what this verse is telling us, then we've got to understand what the meaning of that word discipline is in verse 11. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. So what is discipline? Well, again, Proverbs uses the same term, translated discipline, in many different places. Let me, let me highlight just a few that give us several helpful angles on the meaning and the sense of this term. In chapter 1, verse 23, discipline there is a rebuke. It's a rebuke. You've been doing something wrong. And you are rebuked for that. So chapter 1, verse 23 says, If you turn at my reproof, there's the term, Behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. So a word of reproof when when you're doing something wrong, that's discipline. And it's a discipline, a reproof that leads you to repentance. That's interesting, isn't it? Discipline that leads us to repentance. And that opens us up then to receive God's Spirit at work in our lives. Proverbs chapter 5, verse... uh, Sorry, chapter... Stay with chapter 1 for just a moment. Forgive me. In chapter 1, just a few verses down, we get the same term again in verse 25. Because you have ignored all my counsel. That's the same term just there for discipline. And would have none of my reproof. And as we go on through Proverbs, this idea of counsel or instruction, wise advice. So discipline is reproof when you're doing something wrong. But it's also it's also discipline when you are instructed, when you're given advice about a situation. You don't know what to do. You don't know what the right decision is to make. Well, discipline is part of giving instruction in that kind of situation. And it's an instruction that might change the course, the direction of your life. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 23, uses this same term. There we read, For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching, that's the discipline word, the teaching is a light, 
and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. It's like a light shining. That's what discipline is. Discipline shines a light that shows you the safe way to go, that keeps you from falling into danger off of the path, because that light of discipline, of instruction, of counsel, illuminates the way that you should be going. Those are the various senses in which discipline is used throughout the book of Proverbs. And the goal is very important, especially in that last instance that we looked at in chapter 6. What's the goal of this kind of discipline? It's not vindictive. It's not an angry father wanting to punish a son. That's not the goal. That's not the kind of discipline we're talking. It's not retributive. It's discipline with the goal of life, of giving you life, of keeping you from danger. And leading you safely in the way that you should go so that you can have life. That's the goal of covenantal godly discipline. The kind of discipline that we see in chapter 3 verse 11. So discipline here is a rich term. It's instruction. It's formation. It's correction. It's counsel. It's admonition. It's rebuke. My son, do not despise the Lord's Discipline, or be weary of his reproof. And do you see in verse 11 there, whose discipline is it? Don't miss that little detail. It's the Lord's discipline. Now we've been reading right through lots of Proverbs, and we see how closely this is tied to a father or to a parent imparting wisdom to a child, to a son. And there's, there's a tight link there. But ultimately, ultimately, It's the Lord's discipline that's coming to a child through that parent. It's the Lord's discipline. And so, can we apply this to ourselves? Can we, can we spend, can we spend the rest of our time together this evening just thinking about how we can apply this truth to ourselves? The fact that discipline displays a father's delight. Here's the first application. And no surprise, it goes to parents and to children who are here this evening. But, As I mentioned earlier, if you are involved in teaching the children of this congregation, the covenant children of this church, then this is also for you. The first application is this. Discipline is loving. It's the loving thing to do. Parents who don't discipline don't love their children. Now that sounds shocking in a way, doesn't it? But that's what this, that's what this text is teaching us. One commentator on these verses says this, If parents fail to instruct or discipline their children, they demonstrate their hatred by surrendering them to the way of evil. Those seem like harsh words, but that's exactly what Proverbs 3.11 is saying. If discipline is driven by love, then turning away from that discipline, that instruction, that reproof, that correction, means that you don't love your child. It's unloving and it's unhelpful to children not to discipline them in the way that Proverbs is talking about. Uh, there's, there's a piece that ran a few years ago in the New Yorker uh, about a, a study that some sociologists were doing in, uh, in the U.S. You, le- you let me know if this rings true for the U.K. as well. Uh, they were looking at how do parents in different cultures train their children, train young people to be responsible adults. This is not a Christian study. It's just a secular sociological study. And they were looking at families in Los Angeles. And here's what they found. They found that most families in Los Angeles didn't. They just didn't train their children in this way. 
the families observed, in the families observed, no child routinely performed household chores without being instructed to. Often the kids had to be begged to attempt the simplest tasks. Often they still refused. In one fairly typical encounter, we're told, a father asked his eight-year-old son five times to please go take a bath or a shower. After the fifth plea went unheeded, father picked up the boy, carried him up to the bathroom, and a few minutes later, the child, still unwashed, wandered into another room to play a video game. No discipline, no care, and no love, actually, in that situation. A desperate need for instruction and for discipline. Let me give you just two other examples from that same study. In in another representative encounter, we're told an eight-year-old girl sat down at the dining room table, finding that there was no silverware, no cutlery laid out for her. She demanded, how am I supposed to eat? And although that girl knew exactly where the cutlery was kept, her father got up and went and got it for her. Again, is this untypical? Or is this typical in our culture? Final episode here, captured on, on video, this one, for, the, for those doing the study. A boy named Ben was supposed to leave the house with his parents, but he couldn't get his feet into his, into his, uh, uh, his sneakers because the laces were tied. So he handed one of the shoes to his father, and he said, You do it for me. Untie it. And his father said, Please ask nicely. Can you untie it? Ben replied. And after more back and forth, the father untied the sneakers, then put them on, and then he asked his father to retie them. You tie your shoes and let's go! The father exploded at him. But Ben was unfazed. He said, I'm just asking. Now, why do I bring those examples? Because, because I don't think they're untypical. For any of us who are parents, we know, we know the difficulty and the challenge of consistent, godly discipline. But if we put this in the perspective that Proverbs lays out for us. That discipline is the loving thing to do for children. In fact, Christian discipline is the only way that young children in our families and in our church, in our congregation, will grow to be godly young adults. Then that puts a different perspective on it. The vision for what kind of adults we want our children to be. A tantrum at the age of two might seem cute sometimes, but at 20, absolutely not. Or a 10-year-old who lacks self-control and is impulsive and rude might seem normal culturally, but by the time he's 30, that's going to be a problem. And so discipline is the loving thing to do. Instruction, counsel, advice, reproof, correction. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. What kind of godly people do we want our children to grow up to become by his grace? And oh, how we need his grace and his mercy as parents and as people in this congregation to see that happen for our young people. Second thought application. This kind of, this kind of discipline, this kind of covenantal instruction has a name. It's called Catechism. Catechism is an important way that we apply this exhortation in our families and in our congregation. Catechism is nothing else but that kind of instruction that teaches 
a child, not only the content of what the Bible holds out for us to believe, but also how to work that out, how to apply that in real-life situations, in school, with friends, as they play. And, of course, catechism doesn't end with children. Catechism is something that we as adults can embrace as well, the kind of covenantal instruction that we need. So reading the Bible, memorizing Scripture, singing the Psalms until they are written on our hearts and in our minds and our memories... By the way, I read recently about a study on those with severe Alzheimer's and dementia written by a Christian physician who said that one of the most outstanding things that he has seen amongst people in that situation at the end of their lives who've lost their memories, often lost their ability to speak, is that the songs that they learned when they were younger in church, the hymns and the psalms that they sang, those are what they're still able to draw out even in the midst of severe dementia, and I've seen this with my own grandmother, one remaining grandmother that I have, that she can't speak anymore hardly. She, she doesn't really know what's happening at all around her. But if you start to sing one of those favorite psalms or hymns, she taps her foot and she begins to move and sometimes sings along. And the nurses are in awe. Why is this? It's because that kind of covenantal instruction, that kind of discipline, writes the truth of the faith in our hearts and in our minds. And it's there. It's there for a lifetime. That's the kind of instruction our text is talking about. If you, if you turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6, I want to read to you the classic, the classic text in the Old Testament that holds out this vision for us as parents and those who love the children of this congregation. What this kind of covenantal discipline looks like. Deuteronomy Chapter 6 from verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these are the words that I command you. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Everywhere, every day, all the time, ripe for covenantal discipline and instruction, for teaching, for counsel, for reproof, for application of the truth of God's word and God's wisdom. And we have so many resources as Christian parents and Sunday school teachers and other members of this congregation and so much encouragement to do this. And we have a need, don't we, for repentance. Because if we're honest with ourselves, if I'm honest with myself, this calls for repentance because I don't do this as I should. And I need to repent of that. I need to confess that as the sin that it is. And I need to ask the Lord to help me. And I need, to, I need to be honest about asking you to help me as I do that together in this congregation. Now, a quick word to those who are younger people in the congregation this evening. So the boys, the young people, the teenagers who are amongst us this evening. This might sound difficult, and it might sound painful. You hear discipline, and your mind probably goes to all kinds of experiences you've had with your parents some of which have not been pleasant because they involve reproof, correction, and rebuke. And so you're thinking, perhaps, 
How does discipline show me love? How is discipline displaying the delight of my father or my mother? It's a difficult thing, isn't it? Well, here's our second application then. That discipline is a sign of love and not displeasure. Discipline is a sign of love and not displeasure. It's right there, isn't it, in verse 12. The Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. So here's the proper role. Here are the proper roles in families. For parents, it's love that has to motivate this kind of instruction and discipline. Not anger, not pride, not shame that your children aren't doing what you think they ought to do, not a desire for their worldly success, But love, it's love for those children that motivates us. Love motivates instruction and discipline for the good of the child and for their growth in godliness and walking in the way of the Lord's blessing. It's love that motivates. And that means we've got to be thoughtful about how we do this kind of covenantal instruction. That we've got to be self-controlled in the way that we discipline our children. We've got to be gentle and firm. We've got to be consistent day by day, week by week. And children, young people, if that's what it looks like for your parents, and those in authority for you, your teachers, then you've got to understand this text as well, that your proper response to your parents' instruction and discipline should be what? It should be trust. Trust and submission and loving obedience. Why? Because you know that they're doing it because they love you and the Lord has given them wisdom in his word and they want so desperately for you to stay on the path that leads you faithfully down the way to him and his blessing. And if you understand that that's their motivation, even though it might not seem pleasant at the moment, you've got to submit and take that as Uh, Take that on trust. You should bear it patiently, even when you don't get it, even when it doesn't seem to make sense, even when it seems pointless or painful. Now, I hope you can see what this also does for all of us now, because at this point, we don't just talk to parents and children, teachers. Now we talk to all of us here in the congregation, because the principle laid out for us here in this wisdom of God is true for all of us as we relate to God as our Heavenly Father, whose discipline in our lives displays His love for us and His delight in us. So here's our third application. This principle, spiritually speaking, covenantally speaking, is that discipline, correction, and reproof is motivated by God's love for us. And it's oriented towards our formation in the image of His Son, the Lord Jesus. So the Father to the Son, here in Proverbs, my Son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. That is our Heavenly Father speaking to all of us as His children. Do not, we may not despise His discipline, His instruction, His reproof in our lives. So what that means is, Your difficulties, your sufferings, the hardest things that you have going on in your life right now, Christian, son of God, daughter of God, those things are not a sign of your heavenly father's displeasure. Do you hear that? Do you believe that? 
That's what this text is saying to us. That the suffering and the difficulty and the persecution in your life is not a sign of your father's displeasure. On the contrary, what's it a sign of? It's a sign of his love for you. It's a sign of his delight in you. Because you are his child, he is working those things in your life out of love for you. Out of love for you. And now we go to Hebrews chapter 12. And you might want to turn there in your Bible as well. It's page 1008. Isn't this exactly what Hebrews chapter 12 does as it applies Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 to us? Hebrews chapter 12, 11 says this, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Maybe some of you have read C.S. Lewis in his little book, The Problem of Pain, where he talks about suffering. He says, he says, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our consciences. And he shouts to us in our suffering. He shouts to us in our suffering. And he goes on to say that therefore when we complain, when we grumble, when we cry out to God and say, why are you allowing this to happen in my life? This suffering, this difficulty, this illness, this pressure, this persecution, that what we're really saying, if we say that in a complaining spirit, is, Lord, why are you loving me? Why are you loving me? We should not ask for less love, but for more from the Lord. This is so counterintuitive, isn't it, for us, that this kind of discipline, this kind of instruction in our lives that even difficult pain and suffering and illness could possibly be a loving discipline from the hand of our Heavenly Father. But that's exactly what the Bible teaches us. These are not things that are out of the Lord's sovereign control. They are not things that happen to us by chance. And so, therefore, we know they come. They come intentionally from the hand of our Heavenly Father. But they come not from the hand of a vindictive God who wants to punish us because we sinned against him last week. And so we dare not draw a line, Christian, from a sin in our lives to suffering in our lives. Do not dare to draw that straight line in your life because that is to try to get behind the providence of God. It is right and proper to, to be brought to a point of repentance by suffering in the Lord's discipline. Absolutely. Crying out and saying, Lord, I know how sinful I am. What is it you're trying to teach me through this discipline? That is right and proper. But it's not right to draw the line between what you did last Tuesday and what you think is happening to you tomorrow or today as a result of that. That's not what the Bible teaches us. It says in, instead that we should respond to discipline from God, knowing that he is using it to lovingly shape us, to mold us, to further lead us into dependence and trust in him. So just like for the children, the application is the same for us. How do we respond to a loving Heavenly Father who disciplines us? We respond with trust and faith that he knows what he's doing, that he loves us, that he has our best and greatest good in mind, even though we don't understand it, even though it seems painful at the moment. We know that it will lead to a peaceful 
to the peaceful fruit of righteousness in our lives. Precisely because we are God's children, he disciplines us out of a deep, deep love. Hebrews 12, verse 8 says it this way. If you're left without discipline, then what are you? What are you? You're an illegitimate child. That to to be under the Lord's discipline, even when that discipline is suffering, as the people in the letter to the Hebrews were experiencing, just, just a few chapters before this, in chapter 10, we know that they were undergoing great persecution, some of them having their property seized, some of them under pressure for their belief in the Lord Jesus because of cultural pressure, some of them ill and anxious, and that that suffering, they were told, was discipline from the hand of a loving Heavenly Father. Is that how we respond to the Lord's discipline in our lives? If not... If not, we need to repent and we need to ask him to help us to trust him more as a loving heavenly father and to see how what he brings into our lives each and every day is for our good, to shape us, to mold us more and more in dependence and trust and faith upon him and his son. Now, if you are here this evening and you are not included in that covenantal family of sons and daughters because, very simply, you have not declared your allegiance to the Lord, you've not repented of your faith, you've not turned to him in faith and repentance, you have not professed that faith publicly and joined yourself to the visible covenant community here, then you need to wake up. And you need to listen to God's word to you tonight and hear that he says his discipline, his instruction to you as a loving heavenly father is to turn to him, to turn to him and to turn to his son. And that's why Hebrews 12 is so beautiful and so critical for us. Look back to the beginning of the chapter because everything that we've been exploring this evening from Proverbs chapter 3, that whole section in which it's applied from verse 3 on in chapter 12 of Hebrews really supports what's going on in verses 1 to 3 in Hebrews chapter 12. Look at verse 3. What's the big command? What is it? Consider. Turn the eyes of your faith. Turn all of your attention. Consider him. Who's the him? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And further up in verses 1 and 2, what is it we're supposed to think about, to meditate on, to consider as we look at the Lord Jesus? We're supposed to remember that the Lord Jesus, as the perfect, obedient Son of the Father, who according to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8, as a Son, having become a human and joining to himself his, as the divine Son, a human nature, in that human nature, learned obedience through what he suffered. That he suffered that he obeyed to the very end, to the bitter end of the cross of Calvary, that he obeyed to the point of shedding his blood for his people, not for his own sins, because he had none. He was sinless, he was blameless, but he learned obedience through what he suffered, so that as a faithful son being made perfect, he might bring in his train sons and daughters with him into the very presence of God, into renewed relationship 
with his heavenly Father. That's the Lord Jesus we're meant to consider tonight. That in the true Son who learned obedience through what he suffered, we can have forgiveness of our sins. And we cannot grow weary or faint as we endure suffering and persecution. Because we know, because we know that discipline for the Christian displays a father's delight. Let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, oh, how we confess before you that we have such a small and such a miserable and such a complaining view of your fatherly love for us. And so we cast ourselves down before you and we ask that you would forgive us for our grumbling, for our complaining, for our doubting, and that you would increase our faith, that you would lift our eyes to consider him who suffered on our behalf, that you would join us to him by faith, and that you would help us to look upon everything we receive from your fatherly hand as coming from one who loves us, who delights in us, and who wants what is best for us. Lord, teach us these things. Mold us in this way by your Spirit. Discipline us as your children, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.